0: so much, Nathan. It is fantastic to be with you this evening. I just want to extend my own very special welcome to you for those of us, those who are joining us online and those in person. We are really honoured to just have you with us. So thanks for joining in and what a great night. Hey, baptisms, oh, you can just feel the spirit moving and working. It is good to be in church this evening. Now we are wrapping up our series in Romans tonight and as we've studied this book, you may have noticed that Romans is a journey of understanding God's good news and not just good news but the best news there is. From chapter one, Paul has explained that we are broken and sinful people who cannot live perfect lives and so we are under God's judgment then in chapter three, he says, but now we have been justified by Christ, meaning our relationship with God has been restored and that the sin that causes us to be under God's judgment has been removed. Then a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter six that asks, well, if we have been made with right, right with God, does that mean we can keep on sinning? to which Paul told us, by no means. But then this leaves us with the problem that we had a look at in chapter seven. As broken and flawed people, how are we to stop from sinning? And Paul described this tension as a wrestle within himself to live as Christ designed and calls him to and deny his sinful nature. He says this in Romans 7, verses 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I cannot do it. How are we to win this war that rages on inside us between our sinful nature and our desire to live free from sin? Which brings us to beloved chapter 8, the remedy for the sin within us, and a calling to live new lives as God's adopted children. A few weeks ago, I checked the preaching roster and I felt like I won the lotto, Romans chapter eight. It is is honestly considered to be one of the greatest passages in the Bible and I was rostered to preach it. Um, But pretty quickly that turned into, I'm rostered to preach it. (laughs) the most precious, powerful, amazing chapter in the Bible. And I have to do it justice. Um, Just as a bit of disclosure, when I was doing my research, one pastor had two hours to preach on this chapter. Um, John Piper used five hours. Tonight, we have 30 minutes. So strap yourselves in, it's gonna be a wild ride. Um, And we're gonna try and go through as much gold as possible in this passage. And there's a particular theme that is threaded through Romans chapter 8 that I really want you to grasp hold of tonight. We're going to be digging into it. It's our adoption into God's family. And we won't cover everything in chapter 8 tonight, but I just want to encourage you this week go back and read it, sit in it, savor it, and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you the power and the beauty that is in this passage. Now, by now you're probably sick about hearing about my cat, Um, but I promise I'm working on some new material. It's coming in December. We're gonna get there, it's all good. Um, But tonight you'll have to endure another cat story. I'm really sorry. So at the start of COVID, we realized we were gonna be home for quite a while. So my husband and I decided if we were gonna get a pet, this is the time. So we jumped on the RSPCA website and we applied for an eight week old kitten. The next day we're in our car, on the way to Wakehole to pick her up. And so we're standing at the RSPCA reception and we look over and there's this like um, netted enclosure with this tiny little kitten in, so cute. And as we're watching, she starts to literally climb the wall and then from one end jump to the next end and then hang from the ceiling upside down like some manic spider on Red Bull. And we had this really sick feeling. We're like, oh, I think that's ours. (laughs) But, you know, we decided to go forward with the adoption. And there were three main things that happened when we adopted her. The first was that we paid her debt. We paid a price for her, $300 to the RSPCA. The second was we gave her a new name. So they went in their database and they changed her name, Brandy Cordis. she was ours. (laughs) And the third was this. Now that she was part of our family, there were some new obligations, some new expectations that we had on her. No longer could she just go to the bathroom wherever she wanted, like she did before. No longer could she scratch and bite and fight like she did in her old life. Now she was in our lovely apartment and in our family, she had to behave a certain way. And now she doesn't always live up to this expectation or obligation, but you know what, we still love her. There are times when she throws up on the carpet or pees outside the litter box, but we don't just kick her out of our family and say good riddance, we still love her and she's still allowed to be in our family. In Roman culture, adoption was a very common thing too. A wealthy adult, rather than two millennials with no kids, would adopt a son to inherit their wealth. And again, there were three main things that happened. First of all, all the old debts of the son were paid and he inherited the new privileges of his new family. Secondly, he would be given a new name, a new identity with his new family. And thirdly, there would be new obligations that he would have to meet to please his new father and his new family. But the son does nothing to earn this adoption, only receive it. And tonight, as we look at this passage, we see the same three things that have been bestowed upon us. Firstly, our debts have been paid. Let's start from Romans chapter eight, verses one. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This passage starts with so now, or other translations use the word therefore. Therefore. And here Paul is making a direct hyperlink to the chapters that have gone before. We can't begin to dive into this chapter without first linking it back to the previous chapters. And chapter eight is in part so powerful because it comes after chapter seven. You might remember a few weeks ago, Jono and Trav, here we go, shared on the weight of sin the heaviness of sin. We are enslaved by it, captives of it. And our sin not only enslaves us, but it brings us under God's judgment. Because our perfect God is a God of justice. We stand condemned in our sin, in chains. But here is where it gets to the good part in chapter 8. If the sin is a chain... Then this is Jesus. This is Jesus. I'm not gonna try and cut it off now. That would have an OHS nightmare, but you get the picture. And I just want to take a moment to pull apart Paul's language here. The phrase no condemnation means just that there is no condemnation. Ever. At all. We don't move back and forth under God's condemnation when we sin. It's not like this, oh, I lied to my parents about where I was gonna be on Friday night or I got drunk at a friend's party. I better put my chain of condemnation back on. No, that is not it at all. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are removed from God's condemnation forever and ever again. If we ever feel condemned, it's because we put ourselves back under the law. And we all heard how that works out for us. Sin and death. Paul's language here is final. He's saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ ever again. Zilch. Zippo, nada, done. You are no longer ever condemned when you are found in Jesus. Right, that's the first verse. Let's keep going. See, I told you about gold. It's awesome. Verse two. And because you belong to him, speaking of Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his spirit, sorry, his son, as a sacrifice for his sins. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. Jesus broke the power of sin over our lives. Not only this but he removed us from God's judgment. A number of weeks ago, Pastor Andrew actually shared on this and I wanted to share a bit of a quote from him actually. He said, when we ask for forgiveness, are we appealing to God's mercy or God's justice? Most of you might say mercy. I'll be honest, I sat in the audience, I said mercy. But let me read 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What is happening on the cross is the justice of God being fully satisfied, fully and completely. God doesn't forgive on the basis of his mercy, but on his justice. The penalty of your sin is paid today in full. You see, there is no condemnation for those who put their faith in Jesus because God sent his son sinless and perfect, but in the appearance of a sinful human to pay the full price of our sin. Jesus was condemned for you so that now you never will be. So now the law is fully satisfied because of God's justice and Christ's sacrifice. Our debts have been paid. We have been freed from the condemnation of sin and death and now as adopted sons and daughters of God, he calls us to live new lives with new obligations. Just like we expected our cat to behave differently now that she's part of our family, How much more do you think God wants you to behave differently now that you are free from the power of sin and in his family? Not because God is forcing you to, but because he designed you and knows what will bring life to you and not just eternal life. Here in this passage, Paul is referring to a fullness of life that can be experienced right here and now on earth. He goes on to say in verse six, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives in you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by his same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. When someone first believes and accepts Christ as their savior, immediately the Holy Spirit, the personhood of God indwells them. It's beautiful. Remember before we were saying that we could not fulfill the law, our fallen and sinful nature prevents us from doing so. But the spirit that indwells believers empowers us to obey God, and most importantly, to want his will. It changes our hearts and minds to hunger after God's own desires. I'm not sure if you remember a few weeks ago, Trav shared a story about a lizard on a man's shoulder. Well, I wanna tell you a little bit of a different one. Imagine that man had two lizards living inside him, one full of darkness and the other full of light and these two lizards are constantly fighting a friend asks the man if they're always fighting which one wins and the man said this he said whichever one i feed we have the power to make a choice every single day to decide Which lizard to feed? Do you feed your sinful nature, your own desires and wants? Or are you feeding the Spirit by following God's will and submitting to His desires? The more we feed the Spirit, the more we starve our sinful nature and are able to live lives in the fullness of God as He designed us to be. Remember what it felt like to live under the heaviness of sin, the weight of it. That is not you anymore. You have been set free from it. Not so that you can keep on sinning, but so that you can live a life, a holy life, marked by peace and fullness. I think we often forget that Jesus' life, the purpose of it wasn't just to justify us but it was also to make us holy this process is a big fancy Christianese word called sanctification it's the process of becoming holy becoming more like God and Jesus sent the Spirit to us to empower us to be sanctified and transformed into his likeness without the Holy Spirit Living the Christian life is impossible. We cannot please God without his spirit indwelling us. And our new obligation as adopted children is to please God, glorify him through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And those who choose to be led by the Holy Spirit are given a new name, adopted as sons. Let's go on, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Are you living as a slave or a son? Because there is an incredibly important difference In Tim Keller's book on Romans, he says this, slaves have no authority and do only what they are told to do. But sons have confidence. They have honor of the family name. They have intimacy and they have authority. Slaves obey out of compulsion, but a son obeys out of love. Slaves are consumed by their behavior by doing the right thing, but a son is consumed by love. A slave works with no honor. A son is honored and invited into the work. Our sonship with God is a relationship not based on performance standards, but is based on unconditional love. Before Jesus, the Jewish people were never taught to have a personal relationship with God. They couldn't. They weren't adopted into God's family. And they wouldn't refer to God as Father. More often, they referred to him as Hashim. It's a Hebrew word simply meaning the name. They were distant and separated from God. There was no intimacy in this relationship. Before Christ, we could be afraid of God. I mean, we had every right to be afraid of him as our judge, but now having been justified in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit that marks us as sons and daughters of God, we are no longer afraid of condemnation or judgment, but instead we are called to enjoy freedom Boldness in approaching God, in being in his presence and intimacy of a relationship. Abba, the word Abba, was an everyday family, homely term. It it displayed great intimacy. And no Jew would ever have dared to address God in this manner. But Jesus did. And now as co-heirs with Christ, adopted children, Paul invites us to do the same, to call out, Abba, Father. Now that we are adopted into God's family, we are given a new name, sons and daughters, no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, children of God. As adopted children, our debts have been paid we have new obligations to live holy lives through the empowerment of the Spirit. And we have been given a new name. And Now we come to, in my opinion, what is the most beautiful part of this passage. It describes God's love for his children. And actually, as I, as I read these words, please feel free to just close your eyes and let them, wash over you, because they are just gorgeous. Verses 31 to 39 say this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Jesus Christ died for us and raised to life for us and is sitting in a place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean who no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted or hungry, or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears of today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A passage that started with no condemnation now concludes with no separation. No separation from the love of God and his adopted children. I don't know if you're like me, but I look in the mirror sometimes and I think a God who knows my past, my present and my future, who knows every single selfish thought I've ever had, every selfish thought I ever will have, how can a God like that love Me. How could a perfect, all powerful, all seeing, all knowing God, wonderful in every way, love someone as broken, flawed, disappointing, and underwhelming as me? And that's where this passage changes everything because he does. He loves you so much. And he goes to great lengths to show you and explain to you how much he loves you. Octavius Winslow writes this. He says, who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. God says that nothing you've ever done, nothing you will ever do, nothing anyone else will do, no situation, no power, no distance will ever separate you from the insurmountable, incomprehensible love that God has for you, his child. Seven years ago, I, I read this passage and it changed My life. You see, I had accepted Christ into my life, but I had become terribly aware of the heaviness of my past, the weight of my sin and my mistakes. I was guilty when I looked at the law and I condemned myself, ashamed. But then I read this passage. And the Spirit indwelling in my heart moved and showed me that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because I am loved by my Abba Father, who sent his Son to replace me, to remove the barrier of sin between me and God. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell me to empower me to be transformed like my heavenly father. If this is you tonight, if you are struggling under the weight of your sin, under the weight of your condemnation, thinking you're too far gone, too broken, unlovable, I wanna tell you that is not the case. This truth is on offer for you too. Are you living as a slave tonight? Condemning yourself. Because if you have been accepted and you have accepted Christ into your life, his spirit lives in you and has called you as a child of God, I want invite the band to come back up as we close, because maybe tonight you need a fresh reminder that you are an adopted son, not a slave, that you are not under condemnation, that you have been freed from its enslaving power and given the power of the Spirit to overcome every sin. And if this is you tonight, as we worship in the next song, I want to invite you to seek God. Come to him on your knees and say, God, I am a child. I am yours. And ask that he show you the power of his spirit living within you. A fresh reminder that you are not condemned. Stop living as a slave. Start living as a son. And claim your identity as a child and the truth that God has for you. For there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And no separation from the Father's love. For we are God's children. Would you bow with me as we pray? Oh, loving God, we just come before you humbled, humbled that you saw us broken, flawed, unable to save ourselves, and that out of your justice and your love, you sent your one and only Son, who was condemned so that we never will be, we do not live under condemnation, Father, Forgive us when we condemn ourselves. Forgive us when we live as slaves and not sons. And Father, I just pray tonight that you would speak to each and every one and reveal to them the incredible position they have as a son of God, the incredible intimacy, the incredible love. Father, would you just lavish on them And for those who feel they were too far gone, Lord, for those who are in situations so dark, they go, God must not love me. I just pray, Lord, that you would break those lies apart, that your light would shine into that darkness and show them that there is nothing that can separate them. You are pursuing them as a beloved son and daughter. So Father, we come to you tonight thankful, to be your children, to be loved by the Lord God Almighty. We worship you and we praise you tonight. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we worship together. And if you would like to receive prayer tonight, we have a team up the back in our prayer corner. We've also got the pastoral team down the front who would love to stand with you as you wrestle with sin, as you wrestle with your sonship and accept your position as a child of God. Let's worship.
1: you so much that in you there is no condemnation, great God. Uh, It's an incredible thought, great God. And even when we feel too weak to change or overcome, uh, it's your power, it's your strength in us to change us and to make the difference uh, that we desperately need, great God. And uh, it's an incredible thought, Lord, that we can have right standing with you, that when we wake up in the morning, even though we've failed and fallen short day after day, that it's, it's, um, there's a new day in You, great God. Every morning waking up, knowing no there's, there's no condemnation, no condemnation in You, great God. Right standing with You. It's an incredible thought. Uh, the Holy God, a holy God. And yet before You, we can be clean, white as snow, great God. Uh, we just honour and thank You for that, great God. Thank You for that truth. And the way that it changes and impacts our lives is extraordinary, Lord, and to walk in that, to walk in that identity changes everything. Uh, It's amazing, God. And so Lord, uh, with that in mind, we just pray that whatever we're doing uh, tomorrow and this week, that You'd use us, Lord, that we'd be reminded of that, walk in the, the joy of that great God, and that You'd use our lives Uh, for your glory, we pray. So we thank you, Lord. We honour you tonight and we just pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Really good to have you here tonight and great to have you online. Um, if If you do want to hang around a little bit afterwards as well, that'd be great. Just to clarify, we're not packing up every church in the auditorium. I think I said that announcement's Massive game changer right now. We're only packing the chairs up after the sound desk, beyond the sound desk at the back there. So if you can hang around for that, that'd be great. Um, And then the chapel and A2 as well. But God bless you. And also uh, you can just write out some thanks and encouragement to Matt and Gemma down the front here after service as well on the tables down the front. You're welcome to do that. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.